All right, well, welcome back. Hopefully you had a chance to refill your coffee and say hi to someone. Uh, just really excited to continue in our teaching series today. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church, and I just serve with an amazing team of people, um, and it's just so good. I, I was praying uh, before, I, before I got up here, and I just... I was like, okay, Kyle, I was praying and like trying to talk to myself about like not crying and stuff like that. Cause I just like, it's just so good to like see you all. Like, and I like, I don't know how to, if that's awkward for you, like, I'm sorry. Like, but like, I I don't intentionally mean to make it awkward. Like, but it's good to be amongst like family, to get to know people and just sharing story as like, it was so great. Um, but before our gathering today kind of officially kicked off, uh, me and a, a friend were just sitting there chatting, and we're just going back and forth about like the journey of faith and connecting with people. And I think when we were talking about, like, so what's the purpose, and why are we doing this, and how does this all shake out, it really got down to a simple word of like connection, of a time and a space to like just take a moment to set a to sit apart some time, to reset, recenter, to say, God, I'm seeking to connect with you as you have moved towards me. And just get to do that amongst others, um, to know that you're not alone, alone on that journey. It's one of the reasons why we talk about like our gen cards and whether you're new here or you've been a part of generations for a while, like we encourage you to fill those out and drop those in our black response buckets because it's like we, we know we chat throughout the week, but also sometimes God just prompts you in the moment to say or do something. And we want to provide an opportunity for you to like write that down. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes like when I, a thought comes in my head, if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. Uh, so sometimes we, that, that's why we provide some of those paper materials so that you, when God prompts you to respond, whether it's in a teaching or time together, you can write it down. You can say, maybe take a next step. Um, And so we just hope that this time of connection with God set apart and also with others prompts you to respond. Uh, With that said, let me just pray for us. Um, Spill my coffee. Good thing I didn't get it refilled, Richard. Let me pray for us and we'll jump in to our time together. God, you are here moving. So good to be amongst family. For people who are also here who are just on a journey. Asking, seeking. God, I just pray that you reveal yourself to them. Whether through a song that has been sung or a word that's about to be shared or through maybe it's a a conversation on the way out the door. God, we need you. Help us to trust you more and more, to come with you with our doubts and our questions, to know that you want to walk alongside of us on this journey, in this journey of life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever set a goal and been frustrated by your inability to like reach it? Um, I know over just my journey of, frankly, like starting at church or even in my personal life, sometimes it's like I set a goal and my course of action to reach that goal doesn't always support me reaching that 
goal. We all set goals in different ways. And sometimes one of the ways we try to achieve our goals is by manufacturing or working around the, the output or like modifying our behavior. So for example, say you're, you're trying to become a little more healthy, maybe trim a few pounds and you say, okay, every time that I go out, I'm not going to get dessert or I'm not going to grab that candy. And what we try to do is we try to mitigate or control our behavior by saying, I'm not going to do fill in the blank. And inevitably, some voice comes along and says, well, maybe just today or, or cheat a little or, and you're like, okay, but then I'm going to get back on track. We, we try to manufacture behaviors or, or maybe you're trying to get a better handle on your finances and you're like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to delete DoorDash off my phone or I'm going to delete Amazon off my phone so I no longer impulse buy. And uh, sorry for those of you who uh, work at Amazon that are part of Generations, that's why we will get on the computer and order instead of <laughs> our phones. But when we, tr we try to control, we say like, okay, I'm going to take an action to prevent something from happening. Never, but then there's other times where maybe when you've tried to set a goal and you've been a little more successful because it's not just that you change some outward modification, but your motivation's a little bit different. The internal is, is maybe if you're, if you're trying to become healthier, let's go, let's go back to that weight because maybe it's a little bit easier. I, I think sometimes that's what's talked about most is you also are saying, well, I'm just trying to feel better. I know I feel better when I maybe walk a couple times a week or when I do eat less sweets or when I drink less coffee, I'm, I'm a little less jittery. And so your motivation starts to change because you recognize how you feel and the impact that it has on others. And then you just say, okay, every time I drive by a Dutch Bros, I'm not getting a coffee, right? Like you, you, ch you change some of those habits as well as address your internal motivation. It's like, we'll go back to the finances is maybe it's like you, you want an outcome goal of, of, of buying a house. And so it's not, not just that you stop your impulse purchasing, but your motivation intrinsically internal is that it's going to be best for my family. And so you change your desire. You no longer just stop your impulse buying, but you also change your like, well, What's better? Long-term goal, short-term pleasure, getting what I want in the moment. And your motivation begins to change. Well, that's also true in our spiritual walk. Sometimes we want to become more like Jesus, or we want to maybe, quote-unquote, be a better person. I'll, I'll use that frame here for a second. And we try to manufacture or stop or say do this or don't do that and never deal with the internal motivation. We never deal with the heart change. And while the best change is actually putting both into practice, both some of those, those outputs, some of those external factors changing that, but also dealing with the internal. But our internal doesn't change quite so easily. Because sometimes we think if I can just get external right, then that will change my internal. But time and time again, what we realize is what is in us will always come out. So the life of following Jesus together with people is about how do, how do we go about this renovation of the heart to where our affections, our desires, our dreams 
what we might even want begins to change, not just to look good or feel good or because that's what someone else told us is right, but there's an actual internal connection with a God who loves, that we want to love that God well, and in fact, then love others well. And we want to do that, not because we've been told we have to, but because we desire. And so we don't always act in consistency with that want or desire. And that causes all kinds of barriers. When we talk about passing down the faith in this series, sometimes the barriers we, we, we erect that prevent effective passing on of faith to others who we actually care about or we want to see follow Jesus come because we've made the outcome, the behavior modification, the goal rather than the internal heart change. It's harder to be patient with heart change than it is behavior modification. Because boy, if you set a standard and have clarity, and you expect something. I mean, some of you know this in a business sense. You've got a certain expectation for your employees or for your coworkers, and they better hit that standard, measure up, and meet that. And there are consequences if they don't. And sometimes we live that way, and that seeps into the church. And so what we pass down is a faith that looks a lot less like Christ than maybe we want. In fact, uh, Growing Young, one of the books I've referenced in this series, talks that in the last probably 40 years, if you were to ask people to sum up what the main message of Christianity is, or, or if, if receive like those who are younger millennials and, and Gen Z, if, if they were to say, like, what is the main essence of Christianity? What their answers, they packaged it in this nice little phrase, neat phrase, called moral therapeutic deism. And it's actually, when we get into it, it's actually very contradictory to the gospel and the change that it brings. In fact, moral therapeutic deism, it says this, it's moralistic, meaning that religious young people equate faith with being good, a moral person, generally being nice. That's what faith is about, they say, or it's therapeutic. So faith becomes a means of feeling better about themselves. I interact with faith, I interact with Christians, I go to church because it helps me feel better about me. And it's deistic, meaning God exists, but this God is not involved in human affairs with any regularity. So essentially, God has become a heavenly butler for us, inspiring us to be our best selves and be nice to others. That is not the main thrust and essence of Christianity. It's not to just be nice, clean yourself up, look good, act good, talk good, be nice. No, in fact, the same gospel that saves us the, the gospel truth that Jesus came, died, and rose again. This is a love that crucifies and resurrects us. It does something internally and produces a change. And so what happens is because we've mixed up the extra with the core, 
And we say the extra is the essential or the the outer is not what Christianity is really about. It's the behaviors which make us a Christian, not actually the Christ that makes us a Christian. We get confused. And of course, people find it really hard. Why would they want to be a part of a church? Why would they want to follow Jesus? Because I can be nice on my own. I can kind of interact with spirituality light on my own. I can find other ways or means that make me feel good about myself. In fact, sometimes when I interact with the church, I don't always feel good about myself because we talk a little bit about sin. And sometimes you do things that hurt others and you have to buck up and own that sin. And that doesn't always feel great. But what's amazing is that life is not how do I be good or ascend to a standard, but actually that standard was already met in Jesus, and now I live in response to that reality. So I'm not trying to pay it back. I, In some ways, you're paying it forward. And so when we get that essence and we make the core, the main thing, the main thing, that starts to change our conversations. It starts to change what we believe about what is essential. And so the gospel stands in stark contrast to this moral therapeutic deism, which is why we've talked about these shifts from destination to direction. That's why we've talked about a shift from from being a sage with all the right answers to a guide along the way who, who brings about truth in real and practical situations. And in our final shift, as you might have already guessed, is from output to input. See, in order to pass down the faith, it takes people aiming at becoming like Jesus, walking alongside others, and consistently engaging in Scripture. See, the way we know in which to aim and the truth we know to distill and pass on along on the road is that that comes from Scripture. That is our source material, which is why... When Moses is on the edge of the promised land, giving these series of speeches to the Israelites to enter a new season of life, he he gives this command and and he says to, to love God with their total being. And then the outcome of that is as they respond to God in his love, as they internalize that and respond, it will be in their conversation. Well, let me read that for us again. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house or on your city gates. The words and the phrases that we are to pass on are not... Nice little prepackaged quotes on Facebook or Instagram. Because that's like eating fast food and expecting you to be constantly healthy. You need a full course meal, something that is well balanced and gives you precisely when you need when you need it. And that is scripture. Scripture is the meal. It is both milk and meat. And it is what can sustain us over the long Paul. And Moses knew that to love and listen to God, that the content would need to be for them in this time and place, 
the law that he was about to explain and say. In fact, if you just read Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, he literally just says almost the same thing again and again and again, as if to try to get them to understand the place at which to go is not what you can create in your mind or what is produced externally, but it's actually what has been revealed by God to us. And a part of that is the story of God's revelation to them and rescue from slavery, from Egypt, to remind them of their identity and that their identity would come from Scripture. Now, in part, Deuteronomy is in, or or the Israelites, it's an oral culture. So we have a different type of culture for us. It's not quite as oral. At one point, Stories were passed down and you would be able to repeat them because someone would tell the same story again and again. But what's the beautiful thing is that many of these stories are written down and we can read and we can write and share that. And in fact, some ways which, as we think about the move forward, the shift of our culture is almost to visual or oral once again. So our ability to both read and engage the word of God to be able to share the promises and principles found within with others along the road. We must engage in this source material. See, in either case, no matter what culture we find ourselves in, if the input does not change, the output would not either. In fact, love God and choose life, then it will go well. That's what Moses' thrust is. And the Israelites, despite hearing this, don't internalize it. It actually doesn't go well. They get exiled. They forget the word of God. And then one day in the Old Testament, an old king, like, he, he, he digs up the book and is like, oh, we should read this to the people and talk about it. And what's amazing is the lives of the people are then changed not because of they figured out a pathway to get better, but because they read something and reheard the law and understood who their identity was. And Israel went through cycles oftentimes in the Old Testament. But this wasn't just a problem for the Old Testament. In fact, in the New, when Jesus steps on the scene, he encounters those same type of cycles where people are conflating good ideas and good thoughts and have then become tradition with the authority and the proclamation of God's word. And in fact, Jesus gets into several debates about this with a group called the Pharisees, which confused some of their tradition, which, again, wasn't all bad. They were trying to help people, but they confused that with the source material. And what happens is Jesus confronts them about this and and says, hey, all these traditions, all these things that you've come up with to modify your behavior actually isn't changing your heart. And in reality, you have to engage the actual source material. And this is, what, this is what he says about them. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, commands of men. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. He says, summoning the crowds, he told them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. 
Then the disciples came up and said to him, do you not know the Pharisees took offense when they heard this statement? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted, leaving, leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind guide is the blind, both will fall into a pit. And then Peter replied, explain this to us. We don't understand. And he says, are even you still lacking in understanding? Yes. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes in the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. From the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemes. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, which was the issue, does not defile a person. See, the law was never going to change their heart. It was used as a way to help them come to terms with who they were. With a place of, could they come to grips with their own sin and that they were never going to be able to meet the standard. And in fact, when you understand that point in the story, that you can't make yourself better, that you don't need to even clean yourself up to come to God, Rather, he meets you where you are and does the work inside out. The law was never going to be a place that changed the heart, but it had to get people to a place where they would recognize their sin. And while Shrek may say better out than in, <laughs> what you put in will come out. Some of you are trying to manufacture a good life through a list of do's and don'ts, keeping certain things out or at arm's distance, drawing up artificial barriers because this is what you've been told a good person does or is like. And all that will do is produce people who don't believe in Christ but believe in moral therapeutic deism. But if we want people to actually trust and follow Christ, the shift is actually pretty simple. What we put in to our heart matters. And the simple, most direct explanation that I can give you is go to the source material, meaning simply just reading your Bible, going back to the stories of Scripture. It's not any more complicated than that. Taking a chance to engage in God's words, going and reading about Jesus, his teachings, and his way. And if we take time to do that, what is then in us will come out. Amen. What's crazy is there was a study that came out a couple, couple years ago, and it was saying, talking about uh, just kind of how, how to live a good life. It was the goal. And what, in this study, they, they, this group surveyed about 40,000 people, ages 8 to 80. And there was actually this, this finding that they didn't expect as they surveyed them. The study indicated that when people engage in scripture one time a week, which can include a pastor instructing the congregation to open your Bibles, there was negligible effect on some key areas of their life. The same result was true even if people engaged in scriptures two times a week. The result equaled little to no effect. Three times a week, there was some small change. There was a slight pulse. 
but something moved in the behavior of the person engaging in scripture when they went from three times a week to simply four times a week. What's crazy is when they started to survey people who were engaging in scripture four times a week, let me just read some of this. Feeling lonely dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230% by simple Bible reading. I'm not talking about like, let me get out the highlighter and let me dig in. I'm just talking simply reading, hearing God's word, enjoying it, learning to enjoy it, even the difficult passages, just simply reading. In fact, Lifeway a couple years ago did a, a similar study to try to say, is this true? And what they asked is they surveyed a group of people and they said, okay, what are types of things that you would expect from Christian people? And they said, okay, that you're going to engage with the Bible. So we're going to, these are output goals, that you would obey God and deny self, that you would serve God and others, that you would share Christ, that you would practice your faith, that you would seek God, that you would build healthy relationships and to be transparent with others along life's way. The only single input that produced these eight characteristics or types of outputs that you would want to see in someone who was growing in their followership of Jesus was Bible reading. It's, sometimes we make things more complicated than it needs to be. What my hope is, is for us as generations is when we say like story over sin, what we're talking about is the story of God, reading and engaging the story so that it shapes us. Because what happens is when that gets into our heart, we don't manufacture or present or, or, or change our sin. What it does is it, it overcomes and overwhelms and, and it roots out the sin from the inside out. If you want to see change in your life, you... It's, and again, it's, it's not like some science where if, if you do this, it'll automatically equal this. Because what happens is the source material that the Holy Spirit uses to enact the change, both the conviction and the change, is God's word. Amen. Let's give them something to work with. <laughs> and it starts with simple Bible reading. Yeah. And again, if, if we're thinking, okay, Kyle, here, here's, I'm going to do it. I'm going to four times a week. I'm going to enact some change. Miss the point. It's not change the, change the exact input so it equals the automatic output. What, it's, what I'm trying to say is if we faithfully begin to engage God's word in a sincere will, take our questions, our doubts to the text, to read, to allow that to change and shape us. What becomes our identity, what becomes our conversation, what becomes a, how the lens through which we view life is not our own story or the stories that people have told us. It's the story of God and scripture, Amen. of God that created the world beautiful and good. Amen. And we screw it up trying to do it on our own. Mm -hmm. And well, even when we screw it up trying to do it on our own, he sent someone to live the standard, to be the standard, Amen. to execute justice, Amen. 
to be the example of love so that then when we receive that and recognize this, we can recognize that we are rescued and have the potential to be renewed and pay that life forward. Building a life that is out of love with God for others. Experiencing change internally. And that is, that is sometimes when, that, that is the core. It is Jesus. And when, so when we around generations say it's because of Jesus, this is exactly what we are talking about. Because see, when you change, others see change. It's a beautiful thing, and you're never too old or too young to change. My life has been littered with stories of people who I hold dear who were maybe abusive, harsh with the words, quick-tempered, very opinionated. And to see them soften, not because of their old age, because they, but because they've continually to learn to engage Scripture faithfully. When Ruth and I were sharing stories a few weeks ago in our initial teaching series, that was, her, her dad was one of the people that profoundly impacted me. It wasn't anything fancy. It was just opening the Bible consistently on a daily basis and taking a few minutes to read. Just creating and making some room to try to engage. You guys make rooms, and I make room for a lot of other things. I mean, I can scroll on TikTok all day. And I get things, a nice little clippets and sound bites, and it sounds good, but it never lasts. It's not substantive. And so my challenge for us today is if we are going to be people that pass on the faith well, that when we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves, it's just coming out of us, let's stop trying to manufacture our behavior and just simply modify it. But let us be consistent with our input. So how are you making room so that you can input well? And what's amazing is when you start to ask that question, people can start to get very, very creative. Let me just tell you one church. Um, as a church in Chicago, one of my, the favorite pastors, um, Pastor Charlie Dates, who, who I enjoy to listen to, speak, and teach, and always like to track along with what they were doing. They believed in this truth so much that they started to survey and look around in their community. And they recognized that in order to read God's word, people have to be able to read. So what they did is when they looked into their schools, they said that there was uh, roughly, a, or I should say, a significant population of first through third grade boys who were behind and reading level. And so what they did is, and are doing this summer is they put together a six-week camp on literacy and reading and leading out in Chicago and doing this. This is the church partnering to do this. And that's going to take time, energy, volunteers, the, the, the ability to do that. Why? Because if they can get boys who are behind in reading level to read God's word at a third grade reading level, then they can actually read and engage God's word. What happens, church, is when we start to feel a conviction and a a drive, it enables us to get creative. 
So it's not just come to church on Sunday, but it's how do we live our faith in our community, identify problems and solutions so that the people we engage with can start to have the tools to engage with God, his word, and his spirit. I think that's just such a powerful and creative example. And there are all kinds of ministries here locally that are trying to do that. But I think it also gives us an opportunity, church, to be creative and dream dreams about what could we do. And what that means is when someone comes up with maybe with an idea similar to that or different to that, that it starts to take the whole church and say, we are so committed to helping others engage with God sincerely, engage with his word, and find family that we're willing to jump on board with those type of initiatives. So as I say that, if you're waiting for Kyle to launch some sort of initiative this morning and say, okay, time to let's get everybody on board, that's not it right now. What I want to do is simply say, the creative capacity, the ability to solve a problem lies in the collective. As we seek and we read God's word, and we respond through his spirit. So may we be people that do that, that the source of our strength comes from engaging with the story of God through the word of God, and then be people who find creative ways to bring that to our community. Let us pray. God, you are good. May we faithfully just... not confuse the extra with the essential. May we be people who seek truth in your word, sincerely, honestly, be willing to do that well. God, I pray that you give generations ideas, creative capacity, extra energy. All of our gifts, skills, and abilities that when we pull those all together, that we can think of ways to be God's people well in this community. God, at this time, you've not given me a vision or clarity of exactly what that initiative will be or will look like. God, I just pray that we simply live our faith every day and that when you give us promptings and urgings, that we be people who respond and come together proclaiming the best news, giving people access to the best news, that they are loved and cherished, and that Jesus died and rose for them. May we be about that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.